0: This episode is brought to you by Blue Sound, makers of the Node X network streamer. Click the link in the show notes for more information.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast. Joining me this time out is a chat called. Patrick. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you for having me. Sorry, my my, my, my cat just woke up, but yes, yeah, she's here too. <laughs> That's okay. I thought I heard her as well. Now, Patrick, <laughs> people generally better know you as PbFal on the internet, right?
0: That is correct.
1: That's because you are somebody who has, for many years, created digital rips of vinyl, correct? Yes. So could you tell us basically what you need hardware-wise and software-wise to take a record, you know, from your turntable and create a digital file?
0: Well, once you have your turntable set up and you have your phono preamp, and you have your Synergy, how you'd like it, then you mm. basically you need um, an analog to digital converter. And usually that analog to digital converter will either maybe write to a USB stick in the actual unit or will interface directly via USB to your um, laptop or your PC or whatever, whatever device you use. And Mm -hmm. from there you take that, take that, that album or that, that song or whatever you're you're recording and you put it into a, you know, digital audio workstation program. A lot of people use audacity. I use like an old version of Adobe audition and there you Mm -hmm. can manipulate it, you know, cut the ends off, you know, fade in, fade out, clean up the clicks, that kind of stuff. And, uh, so that's, that's it in a very, very generic nutshell. Okay. Now generic
1: nutshell is a good place to start. So how, for how long have you been ripping records to digital files? Probably 15, almost 16
0: years. Wow. Okay. And do you remember what hardware you started with? I remember that I first started with, uh, an audio technica turntable um and well the the reason i could tell you the reason why i started yes 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 but so the the reason why i started was because i i bought the zz top um i think it was uh maybe trace ombre's album on cd Mm -hmm. and they redid the drums they were like electronic drums and i was like listening to it like going holy crap this isn't what, what 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 it's supposed to sound like and so i I got a turntable, a, a cheap turntable. I got it, the album, Trace Ombres, and I was a, I was a computer guy. I, I worked at Microsoft, I've been in IT my whole, my whole career. And I also mm-hmm. was like, you know, I, I knew audio in, inputs, outputs. I traveled with bands as a lighting tech and a guitar tech. So so I, I, I was technically savvy and I was computer savvy. And I said, you know, let's see what I can do. So I recorded that album and I said, well, wow, that sounds pretty good, you know, and then just kind of built from there. But yeah, the first thing I had was a little Audio Technica um turntable i think i had a sure m97 xe or maybe oh, i had a grado black it went for, either went from a grado black to the shore or it's the shore from the grado and that's how it all started okay and did you start sharing these rips
1: right away or did that come later
0: no that that, that came I, I think i probably had done for myself probably over 300 of these rips and um and I don't remember I stumbled onto a website called Bootleg Zone I think it was called and that was mostly about Beatles bootlegs but there was there was a small very small community of people that were doing doing this and they were talking and it was a that was a very unique experience that place very eye-opening for me too. Mm. What can I ask why it was eye-opening? Well, I mean I wasn't I wasn't prepared for how God, how can I put this delicately, how passionate some of these people were. I mean, <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> I had, people were telling me that I was like ripping CDs, that I wasn't, you know, that, that I was, they were accusing me of all this stuff, you know, that I was, you know, not doing actual vinyl. And, and if I did, why don't I do high resolution? It, it got really, it actually got really, really ugly for a while. And I really didn't understand why, but mm. But yeah, it got it, it's it was pretty insane, you know, that how how passionate some of these people were about it, and how serious they were about it. So, did you start ripping just to sixteen?
1: I say just, I mean, it's it's, it's enough for me, but to sixteen forty four
0: Yes, I mean, well, I I my end result was sixteen forty four one. I would usually rip to twenty four ninety six, and then when I had a analog digital converter that was capable of twenty four one ninety two, I start with that then. But then I use a very nice resampler um, to, to get down to 16, to get down to Redbook. And it was good enough for me for a while. I mean, it was good enough to where the, I I would set a password on, on, on the vinyl rips and the password was Redbook rules. And (laughs) and that was a bone of contention. (laughs) That was a bone of contention for people too, that I would not release this stuff in high res. And mm. I go, like, well, you are recording in high res. Why don't you release it? It's Cause I don't want to. I mean, it's like, I, I mean, it's the files are too big upload speed, all that kind of thing. back then upload speed was a thing, you know, in 2009, 2010, not everyone had mm. like, you know, massive, massive upload speeds. So, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 I originally did Redbook. Yes.
1: Okay. So were you contributing to basically like vinyl rips of Beatles bootlegs? Is that what you were doing?
0: Not just Beatles stuff, but I mean I I, I I actually became more into the Beatles because of it. But I mean I started um, probably it goes hand in hand with hanging out at the Hoffman Forums, you know, becoming becoming educated mm-hmm. about, you know, different pressings and then all that kind of stuff. So I really got it gravitated into that. And then as as things moved on, then I became more aware of like, you know, country of origin and that kind of stuff. And and so and then people started sending me stuff to do. And then it grew mm. from there. Because I think I first
1: encountered the the name PB Thal in about 2014. People people were, were talking on the internet somewhere. I can't remember where. Maybe on a forum somewhere about you know this guy's amazing vinyl rips. Now, the, you'll forgive me for saying this, but at the time, I had no interest in vinyl really. And I was just like, oh, maybe I'll give one a listen if I can find one. And I did, I did find a few torrents here and there because obviously other people had re-uploaded them to different torrents, torrent websites. Um, so obviously you went from, you know, just creating rips for yourself to sharing them on sort of a bootleg zone website to, I guess, a broader audience. Is it, did you facilitate that yourself or did that just become about organically because of other people?
0: you know, I would say it wasn't, it wasn't facilitated by me. Cause I had no clue. I mean, I, I was just, I, I literally had no idea about torrent sites or any of that stuff. And I'm pretty technical, but I mean, I just wasn't into that. I didn't know anything about it. And that was another thing yeah. that people said, I can't believe, you know, that you you know don't know about this stuff, you know, yeah. and I really didn't, but I did have a catalog of like 300, you know, rips that, you know, which was pretty prolific back then, you know, people would do, most people do like a rip a week and stuff. I was like doing like 10 a week 20 a week you know i mean i wow. was very prolific and i was very proficient and so i had no clue you know i and, and people started sharing the stuff out and they started going and started going to torrent sites and it just blew up not not of my own accord at all you know mm. and so it, it probably 20 from 2010 to 2012 man it was really probably the, the most out of control the, the the website i did end up setting up called vinyl done right if you search for vinyl back then it was like the number five you know, listed site for, for the term vinyl on a Google search. It was mm. so, so yeah, it, it, it was not of my own doing.
1: Okay. So, but when you created your website, vinyl done, right, were you, how were you sharing your rips through that? Or were you, I don't know. I
0: think at that, I think at that point I had, I had come up with a system to where I would post an album and do a description and then you would send an email and you would get her autoresponder. The email would send you a link to, to either the torrent file or however i was sharing at the time um i think i used i used news groups for a while too um Mm -hmm. okay so that was how that worked
1: okay so if you started with 300 rips what happened when you suddenly decided to either upgrade your turntable your cartridge or your adc did you try and go back and redo that first 300
0: (laughs) Because <laughs> that's what vinyl people are like, is it? I'm laughing because because you have no idea. I mean, I have I have probably 17 different versions of uh, like Metallica Master of Puppets because I people make fun of me because every time I change something in my hardware chain, I go back and I, I would go back and redo everything. So are you that's, serious? That, 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 that's why I was wow. laughing because because I that, that, but that's what but but going but now it's kind of cool because I can sit there and go okay. This is what this cartridge sounds like. Here is what this tr- this uh whatever sounds like. This ADC sounds mm-hmm. like. This phono preamp sounds like. Everything. I have versions dating back to 2008 because uh, I saved them all, at least most of them. Um I have like over 12,000, I think. So I can compare them. So that that's become very inter- in- integral now is that the ability to compare with all, you know, now that people are all into, you know, vinyl and like stuff like that, I can say, well, you know, here's what this sounds like. Here's what that sounds like. Not just the hardware, but also the different pressings that I've recorded over the years. So, yes, I do redo them.
1: Okay. I'll, I'll come to the pressings thing in a, in a minute because that's also kind of interesting. But ripping 300 records to files, I mean, that must take a significant amount of time. I'm very good at multitasking.
0: Okay. And I have a, and, and I have a, and I have a system. Like I said, I've been doing this for so long that I, I have a system in place and the way my, I mean, I don't, I don't rip like really trashed records, but I have a very good cleaning mm-hmm. process. Um, I use a linear arm that was hand-machined by a guy in England that is that is to die for that really helps. I use a micro line stylus, which you use on your system as well, which is the best tracking stylus profile you can have. Um, mm-hmm. And I have a, a sweet vinyl sugar cube, which is a um, click remover, uh, okay. which is very, very good. Um, and that that's kind of been the secret weapon that's really helped me – able to, you know, up my production, so to speak. Could you explain to us a little bit more detail what the
1: Sugar Cube is? Because some of the listeners out there might not know.
0: Okay, so the Sweet Vinyl Sugar Cube is a is a hardware device. Um, it sits um, after your phono preamp, and it also acts as the analog to digital converter. If you get that model, there's two different models. One is just for listening, and then the model I have, you can actually output the digital source into Um, your computer or it actually has a usb stick that you can like write to Mm -hmm. so and that will and you have click settings it will actually has an algorithm that will go in and and you can set a level i never go higher than three Mm. and it will remove clicks you know as you go and will act as the audio digital converter has very nice converters and converts at 24 192 okay but um it's made in northern california okay how long have you had that for I think I've had that uh, for probably four years, maybe five years since it came out. I was one of the early people that that bought it. I um, Michael Frember did a review, and then I called him and I purchased it. Um, I was using a software program called Click Repair and Isotope for a while, and this is just so much better. Yeah, you, know, you don't lose any of the transients, and it's pretty—it's very transparent, probably ninety-six percent transparent.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, you say
0: that—that's a game changer, because.
1: You know, for for a couple of years now, people have been, I guess, you know, whenever I review a component that's got an ADC on the analog input, because the internals of the, let's say it's an amplifier, the internals are all DSP based, or if the yeah. internals need the signal to be in the digital domain to execute room correction, I get people in my comment section resisting that A to D very strongly, you know, mainly because they want to feed vinyl into the amplifier. And they're like, there's no way I'm doing that. And I'm saying, well, but, but you're gonna you're gonna gain more from the the room correction than you'll lose from the A to D. And people say, well, how much do you lose, John? Like, how what's if you could give us a percentage? And I've always said about five percent. And I know you and I spoke about this on the phone if, like a, about a month ago, and you seem to corroborate
0: that. Do I remember that correctly, Patrick, or not? You do remember correctly, so I mean that's uh, a that, that's pretty much. Uh, I, I think I think my number. I think I said ninety five percent the time that when we actually spoke, and then you said oh because I I didn't I had no idea that you had said the same thing. So I've talked to other people. I've talked to other people. You know, a handful of people that you know do this, and we kind of you know come to the same conclusion. You know, almost everyone has said you know ninety to ninety five percent of the way there. Okay, so basically, an A to D will shave between five and ten percent off
1: the top uh, in terms of what. What do you think is the quality that's most affected by an A to D?
0: I think the difference is it's almost the almost like the spatial feeling to it. Mm. But I I kind of get around that by using the tubes that I use. Um, the tubes that I use are very very three D and holographic to my ears. So I think that kind of kind of mitigates I think you just kind of lose some of that 3D effect when you go to analog digital as opposed to just the actual record. There's something something I can't really put my finger on. It's just kind of organic almost. I, I can't really Okay. put it into words. But it's not enough to make me make me not want to do it, but yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> so when you say tubes, does that mean you've got tubes in, in your phono pre? I
0: have tubes in my phono pre, yes. Okay. What model are you currently using? For the last uh, almost three years, this has like been the this has been the most steady hardware chain I've ever had. I actually just made a change the other day out of necessity. I had to change the turntable mat, but but other than that, I haven't changed anything um, in years. Mm-hmm. This is the longest I've ever gone. And my current phono pre is a Black Ice F one fifty nine. It has mm-hmm. a built in um, crosstalk component to it, almost like a Fosgo meter, but basically built into the phono pre, and it uses. Um, uh, what is it 7308 is that the that's the 6922 high end and I get uh, I use a uh, new old stock um, Ampyrix tubes from like the mm-hmm. early 60s that are absolutely phenomenal love them because like I said they have that very 3d effect to them that that really kind of like I said mitigates anything I might lose in an analog to digital conversion into my ears
1: okay so so far I'm picking up from you that the special source is twofold you've got your sugar cube, D clicker um you've also got a tube phono pre with NOS tubes in there as well so that's that's another part of the chain yes now how important for you is the the cleanliness of the record
0: very important to me that's actually that's actually as important as anything mm-hmm. and and i have i have a incredibly anal and and detailed cleaning process i mean i have three different ultrasonic cleaners in my house so holy smokes three yeah <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> well that, that, that's three good that are in use
1: <laughs> right so did you go through the sequence of one two three you use each one and, and obviously a different like, i would imagine using a different uh cleaning fluid in each one as well right or no
0: yes well it depends so so i so i have i have uh my current routine is is that i i I wipe the record with um, a product called Liquinox that's mixed. Then I run it through an ultrasonic cleaner that has three frequencies. It, it has a, it has forty kilohertz, eighty kilohertz, and one twenty kilohertz. Mm-hmm. And so it goes ten minutes for each frequency. The different frequency means the bubbles get smaller. At forty hertz, they're large; they're rather large for, from an ultrasonic perspective. Eighty, mm-hmm. they get smaller, and one twenty, they're very very small. So. It it just kind of, you're basically sandblasting the outside of the record at 40. You're getting a little bit in the grooves at 80 and at 120, you're getting a little bit deeper into the grooves, allegedly. I mean, not that i actually witnessed it. This is what scientists, you know, basically say. So Mm -hmm. so once that go from that cleaner, then I go into another ultrasonic tank um, and just with with clean water, distilled water, nothing in it. And I do a rinse cycle there. And then I do an air dry Um on on a that that spins at 600 revolutions per minute and dries it and that's pretty much it. If I need to do a deep clean, I have a, I have a Humming Guru cleaner upstairs here in my vinyl room that I will I will do another clean with if if I need to.
1: Okay, so it's mainly two step, but the third step for the kind of the problem children
0: arise. I can do ten at a time in my garage. I can do ten records at a time, not just one at a time. I can do ten.
1: Forgive me for not understanding how you can do ten at a time. Do you have ten rows of?
0: It has a long skewer with label protectors oh, in between it. Okay, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can do 10 at a time. And and so that, that's how I start. That, that's how I can clean a lot of records. If I had to do that one at a time like that, that would be a, a non-starter for me. Right, okay. So is that a custom-made machine? No, you can actually buy it on Amazon. It's probably about $1,000 for the whole setup.
1: Right, so it's the, the with the rod and you can put 10 records yeah. on it. And...
0: and the ultrasonic cleaner and everything. It's like probably about 800 bucks.
1: Okay, do you happen to know the names of these things off the top of your head? Uh,
0: yeah, Isonic, I think, is the name of the company that makes the whole package. It's uh, uh-huh. if you go to Amazon and go Isonic. I mean, I'm not shilling for them, but uh, no, but no, actually, no, no. you know, the but the Isonic is actually the same machine that a uh, that a guy named Kermis. I don't know if you've heard of Kermis, but um, but Kermis is a guy who's like made some waves with how he talks about his cleaning and and kind of went against some of the conventions, conventional mm. thinking um but yeah the he the same the same basic model that kermis uses is the isonic and so i have the kermis version that i bought years ago and it is an isonic because i use the little attachment i bought the attachment separately and it works perfectly so
1: okay so we've done cleaning phono pre we've done a to d so i guess the million dollar question for you right now patrick is what turntable and cartridge
0: are you using um, I've used a BPI Scoutmaster probably since 2009. Um, oh, wow, I've, that long? it's okay. just been a. But I, I mean, there, there was a brief time where I had a Transfi um, Salvation. Transfi was a company that makes my tone arm, which is definitely part of the secret sauce. By the way, I would put that tone arm as either one or one A in the secret sauce, in my view. Okay, that's what kind of gives my rips their signature sound. And that's why they usually they don't sound like most anybody else's is because of that arm. And um, OK, so it's a Transfight arm on a, on a Scoutmaster turntable. Yeah. So the Transfight Terminator, um, it's a Generation One Terminator. The guy has since retired. His name was Victor. He was a, a retired dentist in England and hmm. he has sold the intellectual property to a guy in Russia who is continuing on with the work. But my my arm is is from Vic and is a Generation One and it is a. It's 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 something that that I I will never get rid of. I love it. It's just an, okay. an amazing sounding piece of my equipment. So there you go.
1: Okay. So you've how long have you had the TransFi arm um, on the Scoutmaster? Probably late two thousand nine, early twenty ten. Okay. So so for most of your ripping career, let's call it a career. Yes. You've had that sort of same turntable setup, like basically t- table and arm, and then you've obviously, I would guess, you've gone through. I don't know how, how many carts have you gone through, Patrick. Like you must have gone through oh, quite a number just for wear and tear.
0: Well, and not just just numbers of carts, but also also models of carts. Because I was there. There was a time where there was kind of like a hardware wars thing amongst people who do this, and there was hmm. people ramped up there because it got to the point where. And people do that today, and you can probably attest to this, where where people look at the cost of a component and just assume that it's automatically better than something else. You know, some people do. Some people do. Not not everybody though. It's it a is... lot of people in this community. In this community, do they'll look at the they'll look at the hardware specs of, of the person who did the rip and just automatically assume that one's better. And so there was people chasing that. You know, there was a. You know, people that do this, I mean, everyone has an ego, and I think everybody that does this has an ego, and they'll admit to it, wow. hopefully. You know, so there was a time where there was a massive buildup, up it literally calls it hardware wars, where people were just trying to get, you know, expensive hardware and throw stuff at, at the wall and see if it sticks, not even worrying about synergy or anything.
1: Hmm. Okay. So could you talk us through some of the cartridge highlights that you, you've experienced in the last, like, okay. 10 or so years?
0: Yeah, I mean, I my venture into that. I think the shore. Then I got the shore V fifteen Type Three, which was very nice, but very neutral. And I think mm. people, the people like Kevin Gray, still use that, you know, to test their their test pressings because it is such a neutral cartridge. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the Audio Technica um, AT thirty three PTG, probably probably one of the more famous setups in my in my career. Um, I paired that with a Musical Surroundings Phenomena. Phono preamp, and that was I think that was called the. Uh, whenever I change the hardware, I change the name of, of the series. I think that was called Answer to the Master. Um, mm-hmm. That was probably one of the most famous iterations of, of my system. It was a great sounding system, and it still still to this day holds up. From there, I went to the AT thirty three PTG two. That was that was the second model. It had, they had some issues in the first tooling for that. Then I got some Zix or Sykes um cartridges those were the first high high-end ones that cost a couple of th- i got them used but you know um, mm. but they were a couple thousand dollars then i got a ortofon a90 which was the worst cartridge i ever had pretty much in my system and it was the most expensive and it taught me a lesson that um just because you know it's expensive doesn't mean it's always better and do a blind test blind it really really opened my eyes to blind testing when i got that cartridge i got a mm. SoundSmith a from uh jeff dorge from tone audio mm-hmm. and that was a that was an awesome cartridge but it didn't track well so i kept i kept getting these cartridges that i didn't track as well as the at33 because the at33 had a micro line so then i started chasing micro line cartridges and trying to figure out which one i could settle on um until i found the at150 anniversary edition which i've had for probably three to four years now it's 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 kind of been my my baby the eighty-one fifty anniversary
1: is what you have now. Okay, I mean, yes, Patrick. I, I've got to tell you this: this kind of intel for my audience, well, the the, the vinyl people in my audience, is, is really invaluable because there aren't many people who have gone through as many carts as you have, and who has used them. So extensively in the day-to-day, you know, not just playing a record a week, but you know, ripping stuff and then getting Feedback from people who hear your rips.
0: Yes I have an audience that will tell me whether they like this better or that better when I was when I was trying to change when I was looking to replace my budgie phono pre I would get car. I would get phono pre's in here and I would make a recording and I would r- Release it blindly and say which one do you prefer? And mm-hmm. I had some high-end stuff like manly chinook um, mm-hmm. rogue Audio, I had some very, very high-end phono prees in here, and none of them in a blind test people preferred to the little budgie that I had until I got the F-159. So that's one of the advantages of recording this stuff and having people that will give you an honest answer and say, okay, you know, it's always about your ears, not about your eyes or what you've read. So. Oh,
1: absolutely, yes. It's about direct experience, um, for sure. At least that's that's a major component um, in this whole, I guess, purchase decision game. Now, I guess I want to ask you about the sort of the nature of vinyl itself. You mentioned before a ZZ Top album where the band redid the drums for the CD, which would bug the shit out of me for sure. (laughs) So I guess there are recording differences, I guess, on, on some vinyl releases, when they make the jump to CD, sometimes the tracks get moved around, sometimes they get remixed, very often they're remastered. And so. Chasing the original master is possibly a strong reason to go after, let, let's say, an, let's call it an original pressing or, you know, the first pressing or a previous pressing or a pressing from a different country. I guess what I'm trying to get to here, Patrick, is what's your sort of general feeling for differences between, I guess it's a two-pronged question, differences between vinyl and CD, but not, I don't want to retread that argument too much because it's been done to death, but also the differences between, Pressings from around the world, and also down the years.
0: Yeah. So obviously, I'm not anti-digital because everything that I do ends up in a digital right. format. Yes. So, so I am. I, I mean, I would be very hypocritical if I sat here and said digital sucks. I mean, I would. I would be mm. an incredible hypocrite. For me, it's all about what the source material used is. That's the important mm. thing. So, so when people, when I say a CD that I don't like a certain sound of a CD. A lot of times it's because, especially in the early days when they were putting out CDs, they just grabbed any tape they could and just made the CD from it. They didn't care if it was the the LP cutting master or the, you know, it was just whatever tape they could find. Let's put it out there. And they still do it today. They do it with records too. So I started chasing the original pressings first because, I mean, that that that's usually where, you know, the tapes are new. They use the right tape in most cases. Um, there's a cases where mm. they didn't in the original pressing. But you know, and that's that's where that's a good baseline to start. You know, I always tell everyone: look at country of origin, where they recorded it, where the band's from, where it was first released, um, where it was mixed, and you know, and start Mm. there, and then expand your way out. You know, so so it's not really for me an analog versus digital; it's a source material and how it turned out. You know, even though even though I like a lot of CDs. I'm not a fan, I'm not a huge, fa- I think there is something to be said for high resolution audio as opposed to Redbook audio, if if mm. I'm being completely honest.
1: Okay. Okay. So, I mean, you sent me, for example, three different versions of Bowie's Moon Age Daydream from Ziggy Stardust, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I had to listen to them today um, because I wanted to in my mind for this podcast recording. So you sent me a rip of the 40th anniversary, also the Mobile Fidelity Sound Labs, yes. Master, and I, I get the one is labeled UK, so I'm assuming UK original.
0: Yeah, I think that was the 7E, 4E, the matrix number was, I think, 7E on side one and 4E on side two, or it could be the other way around. I can't remember off the top of my head. But
1: Okay, so I heard the, well, in, in, in order of pre- preference, or rather in reverse order of preference, I would put in third place the mobile fidelity. I thought it was a bit soft, you know, a bit mm-hmm. nice, and then... Actually, weirdly, in second place with a b- bit more edge to it was the original UK. But my overall preference <laughs> went to the 40th anniversary. Now, maybe I'm I'm wrong. Maybe I am maybe I need my ears cleaned. I don't know. But I just I liked the grit and the edge and the the, the real t- attack of the 40th anniversary sound on the, on that guitar that opens it up. I just thought it was brilliant. On the 40. Well, there's no wrong. I
0: mean, it, it, your ears like what your ears like. And those were level mats. So that's the important thing. When people compare, you know, that's the important thing is to make sure the level's the same. So mm-hmm. because if it's not, the,
1: the latter one's going to win. Right. But I guess I was surprised on a couple of levels. I thought that there would be a. I would have a clear preference going in for the UK original because lots of people tell me, oh, yeah, the original pressing is always the best one. The closest, you as you've just said, you can get to the original master tape especially in 72 when that was cut. So obviously the the tape would have been, you know, time proximate, (laughs) yeah, fresh tape, right? They just pull it out of the studio and cut the record. Nowadays, they probably have to go to a tape that's as close as they can get to the original without running that too many times or the original too many times because it obviously wears out or maybe it needed baking or maybe it's got flaws in it. And I would imagine for the 40th, they'll rip it to a file and then master it from the file <clears throat> and then cut from there, which I, I've, I have no problem with that interstitial digital stage. I know a lot of purists and ideas I do. Yeah. Right. But I, I thought it interesting that for me, I guess it's the qualities that I like. I like, yeah, the, the kind of the sawtooth edge to, um, I forgot the name of his, the guy's guitar, the good buddy guitar player. That's Rick ridiculous. Robinson? Thank you, Nick Mick Ronson. Ronson. I was going to say, played yeah. on the Morrissey album, your arsenal, like I know where he was. <laughs> so Mick Ronson's guitar has more of a sawtooth edge on the 40th than, than the UK and definitely more than the mobile fidelity. So I would not buy the MoFi release on, on on the basis of that. I might go for a UK original if it was affordable, but I guess right now the most affordable is going to be the 40th anniversary, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, all of these are on a case by case basis, and what you prefer and what you like, you know. There's mm. people that swear by the MoFi, you know. So who am I to tell them that they're wrong? It's just, you know, they, it's what they prefer. For
1: sure, because if you if you like that kind of more relaxed and sort of softer yeah. approach to that record, then yes, obviously that's going to be your kind of take. If you like the steely man, people are very passionate you
0: know? about that stuff. People are very, very <laughs> passionate about that stuff. <laughs> As yeah, you know. to the
1: point. Yes, I do know because, well, I mean, we've all been on the internet. And we all know what people can be like. So, have you found records where the differences between, say, the original and a remaster done many decades
0: later is much more pronounced than this Bowie one? Off the top of my head, I mean, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to. Th- I mean, I have a lot of reissues, and 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 it just it's just on a. Okay, well, I mean. What is it? Um, the the Fleetwood the first Fleetwood Mac of the is it ru- rumors that was done by Kevin Gray and Steve Hoffman. I thought that was a big improvement over the original. The Queen box set is definitely not an improvement over the original. Um, I'm looking at my box sets on a wall here. Yeah, the Steve sure. Ray Vaughan stuff that that Analog Productions did was was really really good. The Neil Young original release series is excellent. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, there are things that that have been reissued that you know. Some of the Bob Marley stuff that's come out has been really, really good. Um, There's a lot of stuff that that, and a lot of it's just different and not better, you know, so to speak. Depends on what Mm -hmm. you like, you know. Um, I would say the last year, um, Kevin Gray uh, Rhino put out uh, Billy Cobham Spectrum, and nobody Mm -hmm. ever talks about this record, but um, but Kevin Gray did it. It came out on. It was like a twenty five dollar record. All analog, and that thing sounds phenomenal. I mean, it, it blew my, my 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 ears off how good that sounded, and, and I had the chance to talk to Kevin Gray and tell him how, how how great it sounded. But uh, but yeah, and that's one of the records that people don't talk about. They all talk about the UHQRs and all that stuff, and you mm-hmm. know, this was a 25 thirty dollar record that that actually just is is an amazing sounding album that that is better than the original by quite a bit. So w-
1: flipping it around. Can you think of or, you know or scan your shelves to think of records where the original is noticeably better than the remaster?
0: Pretty much any Black Sabbath album I have that, that's been reissued. <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> that right. didn't take me long at all to think about. So yes. So it, would
1: you say that the master is the overriding quality and not the format itself? Yes. So would you agree then that people tend to choose vinyl or maybe prefer vinyl, because it gives them access to a superior sounding master?
0: I think in a lot of cases that is very true. Um, it's all about mm. the source material. That's what I always say all the time is you know you want to get the best source possible. and um, you know because you're not going to get any better than that. you know that, that's, that's your beginning entry point. So the reason my dark side of the moon sounds so good. On on any almost any version is it's a great recording and so mm-hmm. and so you're starting with a great source at that point and then you know after that you know I mean even 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 probably the worst Dark Side of the Moon is still going to sound pretty good is what you're comparing it to so if you've never heard like like the original the original I mean my per- preferred Dark Side of the Moon is the UK quad down mix but but I mean if you've never heard that and you got the twenty what is it twenty fourteen reissue digital reissue. It sounds, mm. which sounds fine, by the way, um, until you put it up against something that's better, you know. So it all depends on what you're comparing it to and what your point of reference is.
1: Hmm. And and does does better mean a, a sort of a fairly prolonged search on the internet and or big, uh, you know, a
0: uh, deep pockets depending on the record deep pockets is, but there are, there are also things that are super inexpensive, like, um, Alan Parsons albums, the original pressings of Alan Parsons albums, you can get for a couple of dollars and those sound as good or better than any reissue ever done. So, I mean, those, there there are lots of examples of, of, of audiophile records that aren't, that aren't like a hundred dollars. They were always audiophile records. Dark side of the moon is an audiophile record. It's an audiophile recording from the get go, you know, Mm but I wouldn't necessarily say that about the Bowie stuff because I no.
1: he's one artist. I, I tracked the reissues down the years and the Rico stuff from the early nineties. I got to say, it sounds a little bit bright. Even I had the vinyl back, back in the day. It was just as I cut over to CDs and I got the, the vinyl. I thought there ah, I just don't see the advantage of having this format because this, this remaster isn't really to my, my liking. Now I know that that was maybe a function of the tech at the time is that the Sound more, Envision
0: stuff you're talking about?
1: Yes, yeah, the Ryko Sound Vision stuff. I can't remember the name of the chap who did it. I know he has has quite rightfully defended his his sort of artistic choices um in doing the remastering down the years. And I'm certainly not here to shit on his work at all. I'm just I guess what I wanted to go on to say was that the remasters that were done 2016 or so back to 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, I thought were way better. It's really, really good. But I don't know what your take on that is.
0: You know, I mean, I, I'm not a huge Bowie guy, but I mean, people tell me that the 40, that the 40, I think the 40th were all analog at some, I think those were all analog and people, Mm. I I think people talk really well about them. Okay. So, So, but
1: I, I don't know how many 40, I mean, there's been a, is it a 40th or no, there's a 50th of Aladdin sane just done. I think I haven't really kept pace with it. Um, just because it gets so expensive, you know, buying so many bloody records. I mean, I mean, how, yeah, is it rude of me to ask Patrick? Like, I mean, do you buy a lot? Do you get sent a lot? Do you, do you have access to things that most people don't? Um, People send me a
0: lot. They don't, they don't send me a lot to keep. They will loan me stuff. I have people send, Mm. loan me, send me stuff from all over the world all the time. I mean, I have, Mm. I have piles of stuff that people, and I have people send me, sending me lists all the time. Hey, are you interested in this, that very, very generous people? I don't even know, you know, I Mm. mean, probably, probably the, 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 the thing that blew me away the most where I realized that people were really into this, there was a guy that had um, Bob Dylan's um, Freewheeling Bob Dylan. There was a there was a version that had four songs on it that were that were removed, and there was only a handful of copies that ever, ever were released with huh. those four songs on it. And this guy had a copy of it. It's probably it's one of the most pre- sought-after albums ever. And, this is, and he sent it to me in 2010. Um, he sent it to me. It's probably a $10,000 record. And wow. I'd never met the guy. He didn't know me and he sent it to me. I mean, and, and, you know, he didn't know me from Adam. I could have like sold that record, you know, and, mm. and, and, I, and that's when I knew that people were, people really, really wanted this stuff in a bad, bad way. They were, they were tired of being told, you know, here, listen to this. And it didn't sound good. And they wanted to hear their records. And so that that's really when things took off for me is, is, is in that 2010, when people started sending me stuff. And I'd start putting it out for them. So they obviously send you their record so
1: you can create a digital rip and then send yes. them the digital rip, but, and then also share the digital rip with, I guess, your audience, right?
0: Yes. So the Bob Dylan thing, I'm the only person that's ever, ever done that. And so they're mm. I don't think to this day they're even available even from Bob Dylan himself. So,
1: <laughs> so uh, uh, are many of these rips still available online patrick or do you as uh, you kind of stage them or you know how, how how have you managed you know to keep a library your well obviously yourself is pretty easy because you need, need lots of hard drive space mm-hmm. but i guess online you can't have everything there all at once especially all the iterations you've done as you've changed hardware uh yeah you can <laughs> You can. Okay. all right okay yes okay so do you do you, i mean how do you manage that then i mean it do you have like a sort of a private server or do you put it out on torrent side? So what, you know, how do you work that?
0: Just a file sharing site that I've used for years. Okay. So that it's so, uh, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm I, skirting around the obvious question here, right? <laughs> so well, am I, <laughs> I'm, you know, well, it's one of, oh, I guess, of legality. And I guess also, also to a lesser extent, I'm not going to play the moral card with you. Like people can do yes as they please, right? But do you not worry about being somehow prosecuted or taken to court by rights holders because you're sharing their work out in in public, essentially. I mean you're not just giving it to mates on USB drives, you know, you're putting it on the net. Are you not concerned about that?
0: You know, I used to be, and then and then I used to then I would have artists that would actually send me their material and ask me to do it for them. I've had several <laughs> that have okay. done that. That, <laughs> right. that basically they just want it out there, and and also, and, and this is a good example. So the other day on my YouTube channel, I played a, I played a, some of the new Van Halen box set, and mm-hmm. and I had I had at least five people tell me that they were going to go out and buy it because they liked how it sounded. So mm-hmm. so I found that that people who who buy physical media will always buy physical media even if even even if they they have a good digital copy of it. So I only had one artist ever ever send me a takedown notice and say mm. remove myself and that was Van Morrison and I got rid of it immediately. my goal is not to is not to take money out of the artist's mouths. My my goal has always been to preserve the best sounding versions of these of these albums for whoever down down the road. I mean, because a lot of these master tapes are gone and and so, you know, how many people are ever gonna hear the Pink Floyd Wish You Were Here quad version? or Aerosmith mm. Rocks quad version you know that kind of stuff uh, it, it's I mean, I mean for me it's all about saving this stuff basically
1: right i definitely see your point from a, a cultural or even in some ways moral point of view you know you you you're, you're preserving something that has been and is almost gone in many ways but i don't know whether Warner's legal team who I'm <laughs> pretty sure they that. probably
0: have a different different view of that. But, yes, yeah. but I mean I mean guess... at, at the end of the day, how many people I mean there's not that many I mean overall, there may have been like a lot of people that, that have gotten this stuff, but I mean in, in the grand scheme of things compared to like a Taylor's, I'm not putting out Taylor Swift you know mm-hmm. albums or anything like that. So in the grand scheme of things, you know the the 200 people that you know 300 people that download from from my site for a certain record, I don't think that's really the really what those record companies are going after.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hope you're right, because I'd, I'd hate to see you get in trouble for, for any of this, really. But I, I guess, you know, you, your name has become associated with Vinyl Rips as being the gold standard of Vinyl Rips out there on the Internet, right? And so, I, you know, whenever it, it crops up, I'm like, oh, yeah, people know who P.B. Thal is from that association. association. So obviously that you've done work or good high quality work and for long enough, the two together has earned you that reputation. So I just, I guess I hope you're covering your tracks subjectly (laughs) Patrick, because you know, it's just, it's never fun having to face that kind of situation from a legal point of view.
0: I don't put myself out there in that context. This is actually the first time I've ever done an interview as me, so to speak. So this is the, this is my, this is my, my, I had someone ask me to do one like about 10 years ago and I said, nah, I don't want to do that. But, but at this point, you know, I think, I think, I think I've been doing it long enough. If if, if they really, really wanted, wanted me to stop, they could get me to stop. And and like I said, I'm not, like I said, I don't do Taylor Swift stuff. I don't do popular stuff and, and I don't advertise ever where to get my stuff. So
1: it's, you know. No, I mean, normally I would ask guests, uh, where can they find you on the internet? But I'm not going to ask you that question because I yeah. just, it's just better if we don't go there, but
0: yeah. I guess, I, I totally agree.
1: Right. But I, you know, I know, well, I guess people can use Google, but I'm I'm wondering if you kind of have any thoughts as to why the quality of what you do has really resonated with your audience.
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I, I it, it's interesting, you know. But I mean, it, it, it hasn't hasn't waned at all. And, and I've had mm. people that have been, been quote unquote, with me for like twelve years that are that have become friends of mine. You know, people like in Germany that send me my my friend Thor, who sends me metal albums. You know, and friend John in Scotland who sends me like UK. 40 original 45 singles. And, and the beauty about it for me is, is that I've been exposed to music that I otherwise never ever would have heard in my life. I didn't know anything mm-hmm. about the Smiths. I didn't know anything about any of that kind of stuff that any kind of that, that new wave stuff I've totally missed out on. This is all new to me. And I've got people sending me this stuff. Oh, you got to listen to this. A lot of kraut rock stuff that I never would have listened to. So it's been a very huh. educational experience for me.
1: Yeah, I guess it's obviously broadened your horizons a whole bunch yes, I would imagine. Completely. Is it down to, I mean, do people like the sound of a, what you do and B by association, the records, and then in turn by association, the masters, because they have greater dynamic range. Like do they have a, is that your cat? Is it, is your cat? That's my happy. cat. Did, yes. I, did I just ask a <laughs> pretty, good. pretty boring question? I'm so sorry. I don't want to upset the cat. That, goes, that
0: question again. It's like, oh, come on, man. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> She's, she's like 16 years old and she, her name is Diva and she is a diva. Okay. But anyway, what was the question? super cute.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess I was, I was, oh God, it just killed me. I mean, I just, I could hear myself asking a really boring question, but I I guess it, it, it was, it's kind of related to something I discovered recently was that I think maybe one reason why people like the sound of records is because they have possibly, and maybe you can speak to this. Just a greater dynamic range because they're mastered differently than the masters that are used for CD and for streaming.
0: Do I have that right? Oh yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent. I mean, I, I mean the the whole the whole loudness wars and compression and and mastering for iPod headphones and all that stuff is has also been a big, big, big boon to someone like me and what I do for sure.
1: Hmm. Okay. And I, I would agree wholeheartedly with that. So in what way like in terms of dynamic range
0: oh yeah i mean you could you can look at a waveform as you know you know you can see you know where you know things have been and, and that's not always that's not always the case and that's not always a, a bad thing because there, are i mean beatles albums they had compression and stuff but it's a whole different thing you know when, when mm. you're just trying to make something louder by by shaving off the peaks you know you you lose some of that i don't know it's it's, it's loses some of that that 3d spatial organic thing that I was talking about that I can't really get a put, put a, put my finger on, you know? Mm. And, you know, when you first listen to it, it may sound exciting and punchy, but as, after you listen, you know, 20, 30 minutes in, you're like going, uh, eh, you know, this really isn't doing it for me where I like the, I like the openness and the space, you know, that something, you know, like, like the original record had. Um, if that mm. makes sense. No,
1: it does make sense, but I, I guess I've been slightly encouraged, In the last couple of months, because I've encountered a couple of remasters on vinyl and CD, where the remaster wasn't complete trash. So, first of all, the Tom Waits stuff has just come out is Mm -hmm. as good, if not better, than the original in terms of dynamic range and in terms of sound quality. But, but the one thing I like about remasters, they generally pull more detail from the record than the original master. Generally speaking, for all of their other sins in terms of dynamic range compression, they yeah they you you get a better sense of the smaller stuff, right?
0: Yeah, I would attribute that to technology and tape transport and the, and cabling and all that stuff. It comes into effect. Right. I would agree with you that, yes, there is more detail for sure.
1: Right. But generally, they get smashed against the wall. But yeah, the Tom Waits stuff, yeah. absolutely not. It's it's If anybody's listening to this and is on the fence about the new remasters from Tom Waits of his 80s stuff, just go and get it. It sounds phenomenal. And then the other thing which I bought today is Tricky's Maxin Quay is going to be 30 years old next year, I believe. They just reissued like some deluxe edition and they didn't smash the remaster on that either. It sounds really good. And again, a bit more detailed. So maybe the tide is turning, but I do notice one common thread in some of these better remasters and that is Abbey Road. Not all of them, but a lot of them, you know, the Abbey Road, like one um, half speed remasters often sound pretty damn good. So
0: I'm hoping that's, that's, it, it's interesting you say that. So I mean I mean I, I I did a I did a blind blind shootout on my on my YouTube channel on um mm. on Bob Marley Exodus. Um okay. and, and I put together uh, a German nineteen eighty two box set, the UHQR that had come out that everybody raved about, um mm. the the Abbey Road and I think an original US. And people voted in a blind test, and the winner was the Abbey Road. And people, and people, audiophiles in general always crap on a lot of the uh, the Abbey Road half speed master stuff, and yet, Mm. you know, like, and yet this was was hands down the one people preferred in a blind test. (laughs) So you never know; it's it's a case by case basis. Um, There's a lot of people that that, that, that don't like half speed mastering and, and this, that, and the other. I I take everything on a case by case basis, and and if it's good, it sounds good. I don't care where it came from. I think that's the only way you can be
1: with it because, I mean, I think Abbey Road did half speed masters or remasters of the Brian Eno vocal albums from the 70s. And I think they sounded pretty good to me anyway. I mean, but then again, I don't go chasing that last little bit, you know, from, from my vinyl records because I play CDs and I stream, I do all of it. So I don't really have time to kind of be idealistic about one format. I don't have the emotional energy for it either because it's exhausting to be to be that guy who's just into vinyl and nothing else, right? And won't hear a bad word said about it because as you say, case by case <laughs> basis, some of it's great. Yes. Some of the new stuff is great. Some of it's not. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because, you know, I, I meet a lot of vinyl.
0: High-hides. I agree with you that, that, that I think the loudness wars, the table has finally turned. To where I, I think that they are are starting to reintroduce dynamic range back into the remastering process, and not not just squashing everything and making it as loud as possible. I, I think that things have improved immensely over the years.
1: That's good I, I to th- hear. I think
0: we're getting there. I think I think that we're getting there. I, I totally agree with you. So I mean, it's especially interesting for
1: me to hear you say that people can hear the differences to different vinyl masters and therefore sources as well. Through a YouTube stream from your channel, right? That, that's that's that. Well, that kind of, I guess, intuitively, I'll be like, well, that's going to be difficult because YouTube compresses the shit out of the audio, right? So we're talking about lossy encoding of vinyl yeah. rips, right?
0: You can get the general tonality uh, of things. I would not say that you know it's definitely not something that that, that is audiophile. But on my uh, when I do those comparisons, I also give you a link to where you can download the the original FLAC file, so you can listen to them at your home on your home system as well so you have the option but you can definitely tell the tonality on youtube um say Mm -hmm. okay you know is this bright is it etched you know this that the other so you can definitely tell the differences between the two it's not so compressed and also the way i have it set up is probably as good as you're going to get um on youtube at least that's what people tell me Okay, okay. So my turntable, my turntable goes right from the ADC into my computer and then into YouTube. I don't do anything else after that. It's just really, it, it pretty much as as direct as possible for me. Right. So you got
1: the sugar cube in between, so you don't need to do any DSP afterwards, right?
0: Nope. I don't do anything afterwards. I, I actually will play the record live, you know, and drop the needle, and you can just hear it. <laughs>
1: okay. Oh, I see. Okay. So one last question then, Patrick. Do you think that we have reached the peak of the second wave of vinyl?
0: I think so. But also I see a lot more younger people and a lot more women when I go to record shows. I'll go to a record, I'll go to a record show on Saturday and there will be a lot of younger, like, like 18 to 25, and women mm. at this thing that, that I never used to see. So I could be wrong, but, but I, I, I think we're at the oversaturation point now. Um, mm. And uh, and I think it's probably going to maybe plateau, but I mean, I'm not, I, I don't buy, I, I don't, I'm not in the industry, so I don't know for sure.
1: Sure, I mean, I, I hope it does plateau, if only just to keep or take the heat out of vinyl pricing, because not only yeah. new stuff but new stuff as well, because the market is insane right now. And I look at oh, the yeah. pricing of of like original pressings of various records, and I go, what like a hundred euros for that thing that was made in the eighties. Come on. Like it just, it just seems to be out of control for certain items. I'm not talking about everything. And then if I go to my local record store, which I went to today, like new vinyl at 35 euros, 40 euros, like that tricky on vinyl is a three LP set at 50 euros, which I guess three LPs isn't too bad, but you know, it's, it seems to be creeping ever upwards. I know that's a very old man of thing for me to say, but you know,
0: I just watched the Austin Record Show, which is the biggest record show in the United States. And I mm. I was shocked at at, at at the prices and you know, because I I know what I feel what I feel something's worth and I'm like going, Wow, I would never pay that for that, but people were paying it. People were paying it yeah, and if they right. want it and they have the money, they'll buy it. You know, the, the market will, will you know will dictate, you know, and people right now will buy that stuff. So
1: So do you when you want to hear um, an album at
0: home, do you play the rip or do you play the record? I play the rip because on because well I mean uh, upstairs I have like a vintage system here in my vinyl room I have like a like an old techniques and a and a little preamp that I, I call it my, my my vintage vinyl system but my main mm-hmm. system isn't even hooked up to speakers it's it's literally just made for for ripping so I have a nice little setup in my living room where, where we both have um, some Cap R three Metas mm-hmm. or R three Meta brothers so oh yes yes you have, have the that. R3
1: Metas as well yeah yeah <laughs> yes no it's I think they're great speakers yeah I love
0: them. And so I have everything online, and I, I stream it through a through a, a Logitech um, transporter, which was an old, old um, streaming device. And I go into Rune with that. So I have one of those as well. I'm looking at one right
1: now. <laughs> so <it's>, we, <laughs> have we, we we have two we have two components in common, Patrick. Yes. But yeah, I mean, I love that transporter. I think it's a great bit, bit of hardware, and it, I just love the. It's kind of like vintage digital now, isn't it? It's like almost at that tipping point where. You know, it's, it's got 20. those meters, you know, the,
0: the, it's got yeah. those meters on it that I love. So I love yeah, those Yeah, it's things.
1: fantastic. So it's been a pleasure to chat to you today, Patrick. If not, because you are somebody with seemingly with, with one foot in the vinyl camp and one foot in the digital camp. So you don't seem to be swayed by any sense of idealism, which is refreshing.
0: Yeah, I try. You know, I mean, I've learned over the years, you know, not to, I mean, like I said, it's all a case by case basis. I don't, I don't blanketly say anything's better than the other. Good man. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thank you. I'm I, I can not believe we actually went an hour. I didn't bore you to death, but the but I, I not definitely at all. appreciate not it. At all, it was
1: a lot of fun. It's always interesting talking to people and hearing about their, their experiences with, with Hi Fi related stuff.
0: Yeah, it was it was a blast, man. I really enjoyed it. I should have should have done this sooner. Good stuff.